Welcome to AI Arthritis Voices 360, the podcast solving today's most pressing issues in the AI arthritis community. We invite you all to the table where together we face the daily challenges of autoimmune and autoinflammatory arthritis. Every Sunday, join Tiffany and her fellow patient co-hosts as they lead discussions in the patient community as well as consult with stakeholders worldwide to solve the problems that matter most. Whether you are a loved one, a professional working in the field, or a person diagnosed with an AI arthritis disease, this podcast is for you. So pull up a chair and take a seat at the table. Hello and welcome to AI Arthritis Voices 360. This is Tiffany. I am one of your co-hosts today, and I am so excited to introduce the other co-host, Miss Effie Coleopolis. Oh, I said it. <laughs> Hi, Effie. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Well, I am excited. For those of you who um, are new to our show, we have patients, co-hosts that that run the show. And we are just going to be starting a rotation where I have been on uh, the episodes as we started, but we're going to start rotating in and out. And Effie is going to be one of our repeat co-hosts that you'll be able to tune in and, and speak with on many occasions. So that's really exciting. Effie, why don't you tell us a little about yourself and what you have been doing kind of in the advocacy world? Yeah, so I started my blog, Rising Above Rheumatoid Arthritis, in 2016, and that was mainly to connect with others, build a community, and just share my story, basically, because I have been living with juvenile arthritis for about 15 years now, and I was diagnosed with the form that can lead into adulthood, so I am being treated as an adult now, and not obviously as a teenager. So, you know, my whole journey just led me up to creating that blog as I was healing from my total knee replacement. In 2016, I kind of was inspired to go about that route. And since then, I've worked with various organizations. One of them is yours. And I've written several blog posts, collaborated with others. And I recently made a film series that launched in October of last year during Invisible Disabilities Week. And that was called I'm Invisible No More. And it was based off of my story where I was questioned for using a disability parking placard about 10 years ago. So that was in the beginning of my diagnosis days. So that was, yeah. That was your, your inspiration. And, and we, will, we will link to those videos too um, on this, this episode page so that everybody can see them because they were, uh, they were outstanding. And one of the reasons why when we started talking about having Effie here as a co-host, I said, well, I know the topic I want to be talking about with Effie because you're clearly passionate about this. And, you know, Effie, gosh, I guess we've known each other for a couple years now. Yeah. Uh, she, I think you had originally reached out via email to IFAA or got your email about helping with some awareness campaigns that you are doing. And the thing I remember the most is I said, I don't know who this girl is, but <laughs> I like her. I was like, I just love because you are so passionate and driven and I just was really impressed. So and then I think you won 
did you won rookie of the year, didn't you? Or at, at We Go Health? Yeah. So the We Go Health organization, um, I ended up winning in 2018, the rookie of the year. And that's just an award for someone who's starting out. And that's pretty much what I was doing at the time. And I was reaching out to various organizations to see how I can get involved. And I was doing a challenge of some sort. And I know I had reached out to collaborate with you and you yeah. were really helpful. So. Yeah, that was it. And then I saw that you wanted. I said, I knew it. I knew she was wonderful. <laughs> I just sensed it. It was, it was funny. So, uh, but so that is going to be our topic today. Uh, we're going to talk about invisible disease. And uh, just as a preface for our listeners, the way that our show is run or developed is it's it's a model of how we work at our organization. So at International Foundation for AI Arthritis or IFAA for short, we always communicate with people living with the diseases. That's how we identify issues of unmet need and start to develop those solutions. So the first step is always conversation. And so this is sort of that first step. And the conversations that we have here will be bringing up some main points. And we know that there will be follow-up conversations because this is a big topic. It's something that we care passionately about. And then as we start to develop some ideas on how we can address these problems in our community, we will invite other stakeholders to the table. And then it will be patients next to other stakeholders where together we can develop resources or we can create solutions for the community. So that's the, the premise of how this works. And uh, the reason that we wanted to focus too on invisible disease just as a as an intro to our diseases in particular, because Effie, I know your videos, they were invisible illness because they were for invisible illness week, correct? So it's it, it, were they arthritis specific or they were generalized to invisible disease in general? Yeah. I mean, yeah, they were more generalized, but they also focused on people living with arthritis, various forms of arthritis, but not just solely that. Yeah. So right. So the point of of bringing that up is that invisible illness is a major healthcare issue and it's it's not just for our diseases. So this is something that's relevant to uh, people all over the world in many conditions that are not visible. That's what we mean when we're saying invisible disease. In our case, uh, we are going to parallel a lot of what we talk about to how it affects our specific disease community in these diseases or autoimmune diseases or autoinflammatory diseases, both stem from the immune system and that have arthritis as a major clinical component, we have some symptoms like fatigue or brain fog that are part of all things that we are challenged with. So we'll talk a little bit about how that is specific to us today as well. And then there's the joint pain and the stiffness and things that start from the inside. I think that's just really the important thing to understand about our diseases and the invisibility is that we experience pain and we experience symptomatic parts of these diseases from onset. And the damage is going to take a while for, to be seen or to be visible. So that's what we're going to focus on today. Effie, what do you think is a good place for us to start? What would you like to focus in on first? Um, I would say the physical impact. I would say that would be a good place to start. And 
you know, when I launched the videos, it was during Invisible Disabilities Week, and it focused on like the illness, invisible illness and invisible disabilities, because they're both, you know, two of the same, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I feel it's really important to talk about today as well a little bit, because arthritis is the number one cause of disability, right? Yeah. And this is all about what 360 is about, talking about arthritis. And eventually, many people who do have physical symptoms and eventually may go on to disability. You know, they mm-hmm. may not be able to work anymore or within 10 years, I believe that is the statistic. So, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes, it is. And that also, we're just, we'll start talking about physical, but I think what it's going to be clear is that the physical overlaps with the emotional yes. and overlaps with the social. It's it's kind of those three pillars that, that we're going to, to hit today. And, um, you know, physical as a tie into what I was saying with our diseases in particular is and something you just alluded to Effie is that 10 year mark, or just the fact that these are progressive, if not treated early. And even if treated early, sometimes it's just their, their person may not go into remission. And that can lead to irreversible joint damage, even organ involvement. So we're not just talking about the arthritic, but when you're ta- when you're speaking of the, this physical impact that it has, it all starts with delay in detection. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I mean, think about that. How many people have you have you heard Effie in our community talk about unable to be heard by a physician or even the family member, and and it leads to delay. I would say the majority of people I've connected with, I don't have a percentage, but a good amount, I would say, you know, if they were diagnosed, I don't know, maybe five years ago, you know, things are more, I don't know how you say progressive now when it comes to detection. So if someone's diagnosed now, they might not be delayed, but that's not to say they aren't, you know? Right. Um, And to go with the disability stuff as well, that like, we're going to be talking about the emotional social impact that really does impact people in those ways as well, because many people who go on disability don't they don't necessarily want to, you know, it's more of a last resort and it does impact their life more than just a physical. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, And another thing kind of uh, along the lines with our disease is not that this is specific to ours. It's just a, it's just something that uh, is, is relevant. The average age of onset in adults, 20 to 40. Yeah. And then any age in children, how old were you when you had onset? So I was 18, but I had symptoms starting at 16 and maybe even from fifth grade. So, you know, but they were so very subtle that no one mm-hmm. really know what it was. It could just be growing pains or you get injured playing sport or playing around with friends. Who knows, you know, but yeah, yeah. I got, I had that too. Mine was, but I was in my mid thirties and I was extremely athletic and I was told you hurt yourself in the gym and you don't remember. So oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's possible. Uh, it's possible. It is. You know? And, uh, you know, but then I'd say, well, what about the fatigue? What about right. the low grade fevers? And it was <laughs> nobody connected the dots. So and it's all it's but, just a cold or a flu, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. You know, interestingly, when I did finally get to the rheumatologist that gave me the diagnosis, I was in such bad shape. I had been sleeping for 16 hours a day. I had these low grade fevers for four and a half weeks and I had the severe, severe ear pain. I thought I had an ear infection, yeah. which would explain the fatigue and the low grade in the fever that wouldn't break. And I went to the doctor and I looked fine. I look, and this yeah. is the, he, he was 
desperately wanting to figure out what was wrong with me because my labs were coming back normal. My, you know, x-rays, everything was normal. They, he could not figure out my primary care, could not figure out mainly because young, athletic, invisible, literally. And when he grabbed my, the side of my face, I jumped and I grabbed it. <laughs> me too, but it hurt so bad. I grabbed his shirt, like his chest. And then I went, Oh, I'm so sorry. And I released him. I felt so bad, but it was so painful. And he looked at me and he said, even though I can't see any inflammation or, I mean, it's clear you don't have an infection that I, what I pressed on is your jaw joint. Mm. And, um, and that was the final straw for him, but it it just goes to show that was probably the eighth visit to my primary that I had before I'm getting, uh, what was the second rheumatologist? Cause the first rheumatologist basically told me, I don't, you don't, you're invisible. I, I believe that something's wrong with you. I believe what you're saying, which is good because not everybody is believed as we know. But she also said, now we have to wait and watch you get worse because I can't diagnose it. And she left it an undifferentiated disease okay. and that got me nowhere. But um, but that is, is it, uh, the physical is a huge factor when we're talking about our diseases and not being able to get diagnosed. That's the I think a, a first crucial step and the not believed. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I wasn't believed either in the beginning. I mean, I had similar symptoms to you. I would come home from school and sleep for like five hours. You know, my, yeah. fr- my friends were joking at the time calling, calling me like sleeping beauty and stuff like that. Cause I would just like not pick up the phone or like, I would just be like, <laughs> it's always sleeping. Like the, the fatigue was really bad. And I remember, yeah. um, you know, my hands were an issue at the time. Like when I first started having symptoms, I did remember my jaw acting up too. But I didn't really know what it was either. Like, oh, it's just TMJ, whatever, you know. Yeah. And well, it really wasn't. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and I think that as we are starting our our work at IFAA on invisible disease and wrapping it into our our programs, that that's just the stuff that we're talking about. These symptoms that maybe weren't visible are good things to chart because if we're going to help with with expediting especially in people who don't have the radiographic damage yet or which takes time yeah <laughs> everybody is going to start out invisible because that first onset that first ouch that first pain that first real wave of fatigue or you know whatever your your onset symptoms are they're not going to be able to be measurable unless it's fever right? Or rash. Oh yeah. Something that, that, that's, that is visible or measurable, but the other things are, they're invisible. And until the inflammation catches up and shows something that becomes at least visible to a medical professional, that doesn't change the invisibility on the outside to the rest of the world. Right. And I think that that leads to a lot of this with the um, emotional and not being believed. We did a poll. I thought I had it sitting in front of me here. <laughs> we, did, we did a poll on, oh, here it is, on social media about that. And there was somebody who said we had 40, 42 votes kind of on the top things that people would say about their invisible disease. And, and one of the things on here was almost 56% said issues with my family or spouse or friends, significant other do not understand my condition. 
and somebody that went to say lazy. I hear that a lot, don't you? Like you're lazy. Right. Get up and go work out, go do something. Yeah. All that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, there is uh, somebody said, I just, this quote really read, or it's a quote I'm reading from what they, they said in the comments. People assume that I'm lazy when in fact I'm very sick. I would work if I could. I would mop the floors if I could. I would exercise more if I could. People assume it's a choice. I thought, wow, that's, it's really powerful uh, yeah. because it's, it's not it, the choice, the choice part. I mean, not just the, the, the rest is too, but people do assume it's a choice. I think that that goes into a lot of the emotional aspect and the, the guilt, I think, that comes along with having these and not being able to participate. You know, have you ever had uh, situations, Effie, where you were viewed as may, maybe not la lazy, it could be, or just unsocial or, you know, because you're invisible, people aren't a, any examples you can think of or share with us about how you may have been judged or perceived as faking or, or just it's affected you in some way because of the invisibility? Yeah, I don't, I never really was, uh, you know, told I was faking anything in people with people I knew. It was just more of me always constantly having to say no, you know, and I think that also the big thing with that is I was always the type of person who would say yes, <laughs> or like go places <laughs> or like show up majority of the time. So then when you're, uh, you know, you go from that, and it's like a 180 to saying the opposite, people are gonna be like, hey, what's up? You know, what's going on? Because when I was diagnosed as a teenager, I was, you know, drinking pop, like eating like everything like everyone would eat, right? Like chips, everything. Mm -hmm. And then when I got diagnosed, it was like a total life change overnight. I cut out soda pop within a week. I changed my diet and everyone was just like, hey, I thought you could eat that, you know, yesterday. Like, why can't you eat this now? So I, I was diagnosed. I wouldn't say at a bad time, but at a time when I, I was growing up with others you know? Oh, so it right. was really hard to, you know, I was going through all these changes, but everyone else is going through the same changes together. But I was kind of on the outside going through those changes with them. Does that make sense? That that absolutely makes sense. And eventually later on when, you know, friends got into their own health issues, because everyone does eventually, you know, we're not immortal, right? Things right. happen. They started to understand a little bit more, but that took a few years, some time. So it was a lot of times people not being patient or understanding and they didn't really empathize because they didn't know. Right. Right. And eventually, you know, I think like over time, I, you know, I would still say no. And I think people just would stop inviting or get fed up. But you can't really have that bother you because you have to do what's best for you at the end of the day. And if you need to step back and from social situations to heal or because you have to take medicine and you're groggy or tired the next day, then. What can you really do? Because I have been in situations where I've pushed myself to the limit for family or social or friend events, and I would suffer for it for a week or two after in the beginning years of my diagnosis, because I would have to try to handle everything. That's, that's a really important point that you, you well, a couple, I, I, <laughs> I, I've been, here I am writing my notes. <laughs> Going back, there was a couple things to, to circle back on on this. But the first thing is, you've been living with this for how many years now? About? About 15. Yeah. So, and I'm at that 11 marker. 
And something that you said about, you know, that that in the beginning, it was a lot harder uh, for you. And you've sort of discovered what your needs are and what your limitations are. And you've sort of adjusted in a way. And that's a tough one. I, I, I know there's a lot of people still living with these diseases 10 plus years who haven't reached that yet. Who haven't reached that level of acceptance? It, that that really goes into it, that's a bridge of physical and emotional, because like you said, you don't do it or you do it and then you flare. Yeah, <laughs> right. I, it's a balance, and I I mean I'm still working at it. I'm I'm still working towards the emotional aspect, you know, and the acceptance a little bit. I don't know if I'm a hundred percent there, but I mean, no one really is until you reach that point. And I don't really know when that point is for me, but no, I, right. I know I've improved a lot. I've grown a lot. And it's just about setting boundaries with people. And that's with anything in life. Even if you're living with an illness or not, you have to set boundaries and be you know, firm and not waver because then you feel guilty or I don't know, you know, all these emotions, you get impacted and then it creates stress. Right. But it's, yeah. it's not good to always be a hermit either. You have to kind of sometimes push yourself to get out there. But it all just depends on being around supportive people, right? So, right. Yeah. And I think that's something that we strive to do, or we will be working on here and then over the next few years is trying to help people with tips, with suggestions, uh, not just with the coping, but to translate what they're dealing with to friends, coworkers, family members, so that uh, when they do have to say no, it's not as much of an emotional or social detriment. I know um, when I first, again, I said I was an athlete and I was living in Los Angeles at the time. And I was, I used to go and play volleyball on the beach, but I mean, not like the, not like the professional people. Just for fun. (laughs) Yeah. I wasn't that kind of athlete. (laughs) Yeah. For fun. But when, you know, I lived out there and we would go and and, you know, spend the whole afternoon playing volleyball. And, you know, I was extremely good shape, very muscular, but that all was getting onset at the same time. And I, there was no way I could play volleyball. I couldn't bump. I couldn't set. I could nothing. I couldn't use my hands or my wrists. And, uh, it was a really weird situation because we would meet new people all the time. And I looked completely healthy. There was nothing about me that that suggested that I was not. I went through this phase where I didn't understand. I was new. I didn't know how to explain it correctly. And people would say, oh, who's that stuck up girl (laughs) over there? (laughs) I think I think think the B word was used a couple times. Um, (laughs) But I mean, here I am very, very athletic looking. I'm in a bikini. I'm, you know, in on the beach with other people in their 30s. And I'm they're saying, come on, come play. And, you know, no, I'm okay. And I just didn't. I, I that's one of those moments in life where I, I think about it, you know, like, wow. And now I would be more informed how to answer that. Right. But I didn't know back then. Well, how you, can it, you really answer on a beach right in front of people? But, it's like, well, I have this, <laughs> this and that. And then they'll be like, OK, well, <laughs> I don't know, you know. So I think, well, to answer right now, if that would happen, well, I would, first of all, I wouldn't be in a bikini. (laughs) 
<laughs> now, but you know, I, uh, I think if the same in a such situation similar to now, like if I, there's a sporting event or something like softball, or people say, you know, what you want to play. And, and if I, if, if no, isn't enough, I'll just say, you know, I, I have a autoimmune arthritis condition and it, it doesn't enable me to play that kind of sports, but boy, I'm enjoying watching everybody else or something, you know, just something like that. And then it opens the door too, if they're curious of what that means or uh, interestingly enough, a lot of people will say, Oh, I have a so-and-so with rheumatoid arthritis or psoriatic arthritis, you know, where it starts to, they start to make that connection. And then I kind of feel like, wow, now I really have an opportunity to educate them because maybe the person they're talking about, <laughs> they don't quite understand their limitations. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's it, that. And the other thing that you, you said was how our diseases are so unpredictable where you'll do something one day and then, then somebody will see you and say, wait a minute, you were just you were just doing that. Like in your case, you said eating certain things or going out or, or whatever, but it could be as varied as morning to night. Yeah. You know, um, and that is really tricky for people to understand when it comes to these diseases is <laughs> that, how that how that jumps. I know when we were we were talking before this. You were even said you were you were giving an example about people might be feeling fine to walk, and then the next minute they could be using a cane. Oh yeah, or a wheelchair. Even when you travel, you you know sometimes people need accessibility resources. You know if someone can walk, right? And then if I don't know the plane ride was long and they're tired to go get their baggage, you may see them in a wheelchair. And that's I think that's when people are like, oh, she's faking; she doesn't need that. But a lot of times they do. You just don't really know when you're going to need it. And so that's why a lot of people just have those on hand or have those those things available for them. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is some use it as to be proactive. Oh, yeah. To, to take care of their joints, too. Right. And to right. Not, like, get exactly. in a flare. Exactly. And they'll say, oh, I'm going to use my cane or I'm going to use the wheelchair. I'm not going to walk that long distance in the airport. I feel OK right now. But if I don't. I won't. <laughs> By the time I get to my destination, I'll be in bad shape. And that's that's a that's a very responsible way to be. I have to admit, I'm not there yet. Me, <laughs> I still me push neither. Myself. Me neither. <laughs> I, I look up to those people <laughs> because you know they they they've achieved that level of this is what I have to do, and they're very responsible for it. And I'm not saying I'm irresponsible, but uh, we go back to that whole emotional aspect of not being believed. I haven't 100% gotten past that. You know, I, I still, when I travel, I'll catch myself not using the early boarding, even though I know I could just because, oh, well, I'm not limping today or I'm not, you know, I don't, not doing anything to suggest I should go first in line. And I don't know why I care. I mean, it's not like, why, why do I care? I don't know. It, I, it, and the, and I, the answer in my head is I go back to emotional traumas or, or situations that have scarred us in some way, shape, or form. We bring those back to our consciousness in times like that. Because I think back of when I was, you know, deemed unsocial or because I didn't play volleyball or not being believed at the doctor's office, all of those things 
they add up and, and I, I feel like they come crashing down at those moments. Like, I, I don't know what I think is going to happen, but I did have this one situation where I got on, I didn't do that. And I had a carry on and, uh, I was trying to get it over my head and I, I was having so much trouble, my neck and my shoulders oh, yeah. and my wrists. And it wasn't even that heavy. And that's why I thought, oh, I'm going to be okay. And I didn't, re when I went to try, it just wasn't working that well. <laughs> and uh, it was, I'm in the aisle and you know how the flight attendants will stand in the aisle facing you as you're boarding and they'll yeah. kind of, they'll move backwards and backwards. And she was like two rows in front of me and watching me struggle. <laughs> and she says, uh, excuse me, ma'am. But you need to hurry up. There are people behind you who need to be seated. Oh, geez. And I, I set, I set the, I set the bag down on the ground, and I just looked her straight in the eyes. And I was like, maybe I, I don't remember the exact words, but it was something to the sort of maybe if you would first of all help me, and while you see I was struggling, I could have been seated. But second of all, maybe you should be a little bit more sensitive to the fact that people may have disabilities that you can't see. So oh, wow. I will get say? this up. And she nothing. She looked at me with these big eyes and the guy who was in the seat across the, he's like, oh, ma'am, let me help you. And he, he puts it up there. But I was so angry. I was just so angry. She never said anything. She never apologized to me or anything. Oh, wow. It was, but it was kind of like, I could have avoided that if I had just said, you know what, I'm going to board early and, and have the extra time that I need. But it's a learning lesson. I think a lot of us just, it, it's a constant learning lesson. And then there are sometimes you, you will do it and you're successful and you think, ah, all right, I'll, I'll next time will be okay. And, and these are just so unpredictable, these diseases. And I think that's, that adds to the level of invisibility. Yeah. And it's just about conserving your energy too, in social situations too. And that's why a lot of people do use those, you know, accessibility aids because they need to conserve their energy for later on if you're traveling or going to an event. Right. And I, for me, I mean, I can relate to that because uh, I, I, mean, I don't really care if I board early or um, if I'm asking for help, as long as someone is with me. But when it comes to traveling on my own, I'm not as confident yet to approach someone and be like, oh, can you help me put my bag up there? I mean, I will, I will need to do it because I physically can't, but I just don't mm -hmm. like it, you know? And I, sometimes I find myself not even using like my little wrist wraps or little aids because I just want to be free of it too. You know, it's sometimes annoying yeah. to always have to keep using it. And you just want to kind of have a little bit of normalcy too. So that's kind of like where I'm at in my journey right now, trying to like, you know, find a little bit of a balance between my new normal. Right. Yeah. Yep. And then, you know, one of the things you said in the very beginning was when you chose to do the videos that you did, that part of the the choice was based on your experiences using the disability placard. Yeah. And yeah. And uh, tell us a little bit more about that, because I think that this is something a lot of people living with invisible diseases really resonate with. Yeah. So my situation, I was going to college at the time. I had a class at like around 7 a.m. So I had to like wake up extra early. I took like a two hour long shower that and I'm like, I was taking ibuprofen at that time for pain. Um, I don't take that anymore. I'm allergic, whatever. But I was doing all these things to kind of get going with my day. And then when I got there, I parked my car right in front of the train station, a lot area. And I just like, 
we, I don't know, we had to bring our books that day, I think. So I had my heavy backpack, obviously. I was like, okay, great. I'm not feeling that wild class at that time. I have to bring my books, right? Or else you yeah. wouldn't get the points. And right. so I just swung my backpack over and like ran up the three little steps. So to onlookers, they're like, okay, this girl's obviously trying to get somewhere. She's faking. And, but I wasn't, you know, and I did have really bad pain under my feet that morning. And by the time I got to class, it was like around 11 a.m. that I started to actually feel better. You know, so it took like several hours during those years in the morning time. And I was on a biologic at that, at that time as well. And I still was kind of not feeling the best. So mm-hmm. I guess um, when I got home, a cop had showed up and it was like, oh, someone had complained. So no one approached me specifically. I never had that experience where someone was like verbally attacking me or writing notes on my car. But over time throughout the years, I, when I, especially when I got into advocacy and I wrote my own blog and connected with people via social media, I saw so many people going through the same situations and even worse. And so when I was thinking back to the, the decade, a decade ago with my own situation, I was like, this is weird how it's still happening in 2019, 2018. So I wanted to create this video based on my story, but many of, thousands of others out there as well. And that's kind of where it stemmed from. Yeah, you said the the leaving notes on cars. I've heard that a lot yeah. in in our community. People coming out and saying, "Oh, well, you know, somebody left something on my car." I had been I ran into the post office. Now, this is back when I was again in Los Angeles. I have not applied for one since I've been back in St. Louis. <laughs> First of all, I work out of my house, so I don't leave <laughs> that often, uh, but also the parking is a way different situation in St. Louis than it was when I lived in Los Angeles, California. I mean, oh, you for sure. don't know where you're going to park. And it was a necessity there. And I didn't use it all the time. I used it when I felt I needed to use it. I was having a really bad day. And, and I used it when I went into the post office. When I came out, there was a little, I, I, it wasn't a letter. It was like a little business card thing. And it, it had like a, a wheelchair, the wheelchair symbol. And something this is reserved for people with disabilities or something. And and so it didn't leave me a nasty note, but it was a, somebody get, felt the need to leave me a nonverbal, I guess, message that I shouldn't be parked there. So I, I didn't get any confrontation, but that that's and I've heard a lot of people and I, I'm guilty, too, of forcing a limp when I've parked there sometimes after that happened. I didn't do it before that, but after that oh. happened, I I would like pretend that I <laughs> I be, I was hurting, but I wasn't to the point where I was limping. But I felt like I needed a a visible something just so that nobody left something on my car again. And that's kind of a defense mechanism that a lot of people on social media talk about as well. That you know we sometimes fear people attacking us or whatever, saying something, so we have to protect ourselves in some way. And that's ex- yeah, yeah, so exactly it. Ironically, it was funny around the time I launched the videos, I had gone to a restaurant and I, I had ordered sushi to take out and I had parked in, you know, the disability parking accessible spot, whatever you want to call it. There's many ways you can address it. And this parking lot was really small. So there was like not really many way, ways or people like there was only like one way to enter and it was really packed. So when I parked there, there's a couple people, like a girl and two other guys. And I remember this one girl just looking in and laughing. 
And I was like, oh, geez, this is like so symbolic of what I just posted online. And, I was, and it was obviously towards me because there was no one else in their cars or around me. And right. yeah, that's just the kind of a place where everyone's trying to get a spot. And yeah, she like laughed and like looked a few times. I'm like, okay, whatever, you know, but what are you going to do? I wasn't going to say any, get out of my car and say something to her. But, right, you right. know, people do do still do that. So yeah, and I know we're not going to get into it a whole a whole lot today. But the idea of feeling like you're doing a social service, you had sent me a link. Uh, and I just thought it was a it was a really interesting article. Right. And it was by I think the Crohn's Crohn's and Colitis Foundation. But it was just talking about how some people just feel like if they say something, if somebody doesn't look like they have a disability and they want to cut in line to the bathroom or they, you know, they, that somebody will think they're doing a social service by stepping in and saying, you don't deserve to park here. You don't, that's a real thing. And that's scary. I didn't, I didn't realize how prevalent that was, but when you shared that, I thought that was really, that was really interesting and something that I think should be, should be talked about a little bit more. Yeah, that was one uh, yeah, study that they did. And so that's what I, I tried including that in the video a little bit, because there are there is another side, I guess, not everyone that approaches people are nasty. People are doing it out of malice. A lot of people think they're just doing the right thing, like you said, social service. So they want to defend those who they think really need it. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, you don't really know who needs it, because we don't really know what anyone's going through. So. Exactly. Yep. And hence, invisible disease. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the the whole point of this of this conversation you know you you definitely you had mentioned going to school in your book bag and that just kind of made me think about the whole college age and juvenile and and having to carry books. Uh, you know that's that's something I never had to experience because I had an adult onset but can you talk a little bit about that experience or things you've heard maybe about other children or young adults and the challenges with invisible disease and having to carry that kind of stuff around? I mean, that's got, that has got to be a challenge. Yeah. So for me, like when I got diagnosed, obviously it was right after when I was ending high school. So majority of my experience living with it was during college years. And during those years, my disease wasn't as bad as it like the progression wasn't as bad. So I was able to handle doing those little things and sometimes carrying a book bag. Other times it was hard, but I had my personality was more pushing myself to do it, you know, even if I felt bad. You know, if my shoulder was aching, I'd still just go and push through and go to class. And I remember the you know in college they give you like accessibility note takers if you need it. And during like through like special services. So I did have a note taker. I had a recording device at one point, but I never used those backpacks with the wheels that look like suitcases. I didn't want to, mm-hmm. I didn't want to do that. <laughs> I could have, but I just didn't feel like I needed to. And plus with my hands being an issue, I didn't want to roll things around. Mm. I'd rather just get up and go. Like, I was at that time, I was really personal and private about it. No one really knew outside of a few friends and just family. And I mean, when I say family, immediate family. So not even some family members even knew, but I just, it was more of like, I was younger and I was trying to balance everything and find out my way through life with it. So now if I look back, I would probably be like, eh, tell my younger self, just use it. Who cares what people think? You know, that's a lot ties into 
kind of what people, when they put up a defense mechanism or they just try to hide it or just don't want to tell anyone, it's because they don't want to have anyone bombard them with questions or even talk about it if they're not really ready to talk about it. So Mm -hmm. yeah, and then I would email professors ahead of time and tell them, hey, I have X, Y, and Z. I may be late a couple times, or I may have to hand in a paper late for this reason. And the majority of almost all of them are understanding about it. So that's great. You know, it's just about communicating. You don't have to tell the whole world if you don't want to. It's fine. You can if you want to when the time is right. You know, for me, I was even hesitant when I first started my blog and all that stuff. But I felt called to do it. And not everyone is going to do it. But when it comes to growing up with it at a young age, yeah, just communication with your family, close friends, teachers, and just trying to get as much accessible help as you can and not be ashamed of it or scared or embarrassed. That's I I put a big I put a big circle with it with a big star and, and a, I'm going to put a smiley face too <laughs> by the communication because you know I know it's it's a tag for you know communication is key but it is it really is when if how else would people know if it's invisible the only way to help people understand is to communicate and that means to communicate your needs like you said but. That's not always easy. And one of the things in the poll that we that we did was the top that 78 percent said that they have issues at work. My coworkers are aware of my disease, but they are not aware of the full scope of my challenges. And then also 55.6 percent said I choose to remain invisible. Most are unaware of my challenges. And that's a whole other part of this is, yeah. you know, you've got the side of when you're working and that is for a whole, you know, we do a whole episode for sure on that. But I did just want to point out that, that this, how much this affects so many facets of a person's life. I have a job where I, I'm shouting it from the mountaintop. <laughs> so <laughs> You know, I I mean, I don't, I don't have, I'm not dealing with those, but I did have onset while I was still at work and I decided that I would try to be as vocal as I could about it because I was worried about flaring or things, you know, I was doing business development and marketing. I had to take clients to dinner and things. So I felt like I, I better do everything I can to secure my energy because I've got these long days ahead of me. But I'm I'm actually holding this this pamphlet here. This is something that I I had picked up from Ular Pare, which is the European League Against Rheumatism. Pare is there. Uh, the groups, uh, the nonprofits that are in the European regions come together as like a coalition, and and our nonprofit was one of two from the United States that were invited to be part of this as a non headquartered in Europe. The other one was Creaky Joints Global Healthy Living Foundation. Hey, shout out. <laughs> <laughs> so we were we were there in Europe with them when when I was looking at this, but I I pulled this because it was interesting. It's it's called Working with RMDs or Rheumatic uh, Muscular Skeletal Diseases. And in Europe, they build into their laws a social responsibility for people living with disabilities and and work employers are required to have uh, accommodations which is wonderful yeah but interestingly enough in their poll that they did this was the uh 
Hellenic League Against Rheumatism, so in, in Greece. And when they polled people, they said that 20% said that they have never talked to their employer because they were scared they would get fired. And this is in, a, this is in an area where there's laws <laughs> that, sa- that say you have rights, like you, the employer. So they're still scared. Right. Well, I know in Greece, because I'm Greek, like the economy and the job. That's why I thought you would like yeah. this. I, I, I threw that in. You're like, oh. oh, oh. <laughs> the job market, it wasn't for a while that great. So everyone was holding on to their jobs as best as they could. I'm, you know, and the debt that they were in and everything and all this stuff that's going on there. So it's not surprising that people wouldn't say, you know, what's going on. Mm-hmm. But I just know in my culture, especially, a lot of people don't talk about illness. I mean, maybe in Greece is different, but growing up here in the United States, it's more of like a hush hush thing. Like, oh, you just know oh, that girl is sick or that girl has that, you know, but no one really discusses openly illness. Mm-hmm. And uh, many other cultures are like that, too. But that's just interesting uh, to note. It could just be also a cultural thing with, and just wanting to keep their job as well. But Yeah. And yeah. I think that that is a really that is a, a, a very important side note that I wanted to bring to the attention because IFA, we are international. Yeah. And so we have to think about the the working environment and or school environment or whatever that might be in and cross culturally. So diversity is is an important part of this whole invisible discussion. If you are living with these diseases and even if you have laws that say the employer should give you XYZ, Hey, there are people who say, I am, I'm worried that I won't get promoted. Maybe they won't lose their job, but may either say, if people know that I have this, they may think that I can't function or I need more time off than somebody else. I don't want to be looked over for promotion. We hear that a lot. And I know that that's, that's a genuine concern. So there are people that choose to remain invisible and there's nothing wrong with that. But I would just encourage those who do to do all they can to protect themselves so that they don't have a progressive oh, for sure. progressive disease. Yeah. And I also think that sometimes it ties into people not wanting to identify themselves as someone being living with an illness. You know, yeah. there's some people who identify themselves as a disabled person or whatever. But other people, they don't really want to identify themselves at all. They just said that's okay, I'm living with this, but that doesn't define who I am. Yes. Right. So and another poll that was interesting that you you did here, and it kind of ties into it, is like maybe you mentioned it, but 78% said it is difficult to communicate what I'm truly experiencing. So maybe some people just like we said earlier, don't know how to communicate correctly or in a way that their coworkers or boss would understand. Absolutely. I I totally agree with that. And that leads us kind of into that last leg, which we've gone through physical, social, emotional. Yeah. It's just, I mean, like we said in the beginning, they all overlap. And I think one of the, the core issues that that happens is really emotional. So people having relationship conflicts because of it. And I know we didn't talk about this beforehand when we were listing out some of these, but it's something that I think that you had brought up in just other topics about podcasts. It's just dating, you know, dating and when do you tell and what that's a whole. Yeah, that's (laughs) That's a whole other podcast. (laughs) Yeah, but that's a whole part of it, too. They're just it's so ingrained with every aspect of our lives when you're living with these invisible diseases. Yeah. Um, uh, And and why we wanted to just kind of 
throw a little bit of everything out today because as as I said in the beginning, the point of these podcasts and the the mission of our nonprofit to bring the voices of people living with these diseases to the table so that we can identify these unmet needs or these these things that still need to be addressed. And the only way we can do that, we feel, is by listening to the people living with the diseases and then uniting our voices with other stakeholders so that we can we can start to really understand other ways that we can help each other. So some of these topics that we talked about, these things that we briefly mentioned, I definitely think they could branch out into some uh, so, some future discussions on invisible disease. Absolutely. I agree. So as we said, just because the conversation ends here, <laughs> it says, it's not over. We are going to continue uh, exploring the breakout episodes. We like to think of these as threads or even series, if you will where we have a topic that generates a lot of different ways that it can go. It's a bigger issue than just something that we can we can harness in, in just a little bit. So this is a topic that we will expand on in the future. And we want to invite you to the table. We want to invite everybody out there and, and not just people living with the diseases, family members, anybody who's affected, doctors, if, if there is a way that you would like to increase your communication and talking to people about the invisibility. Pretty much anybody who's in the lives of people living with invisible diseases, it's time to join the conversation so that we can all come together and develop resources and develop solutions that can improve the outcomes for people in the future. So what's next? So what, what, how can we do this? The, the first thing is we want to know what do you want to talk about when it comes to invisible disease? We really want to help so we're going to ask you to submit stories, tips, any resources that you might have. You can email those to podcast at AIarthritisvoices360.org, or you can go on the episode page that we will have for this, and you will find a contact form link you can submit there. You can find that at AIarthritis.org backslash podcast. All of the episodes are listed on there. I'll also post information on the working with rheumatic diseases, the poll that we were talking about. And we'll have a link for World Autoimmune and Autoinflammatory Arthritis Day. And that is coming up in May. (laughs) Woo! Yeah. So (laughs) that is coming up in May. Auto-themed, creative automobile theme so that we can differentiate our diseases full body diseases. And so that's going to be really exciting. And this is a a topic that I think is very relevant to be inserting into that day. So you can check that out at arthritis.org backslash AI arthritis day. And uh, the other thing is, is rheumatologists. So we, we kind of mentioned that this is just kind of part one and, and the whole delay in diagnosis starts with us and it starts at, at a doctor's office. So one of the things that we are launching is called Roomy Rounds. So that's hashtag Roomy Rounds. <laughs> so, I, I, I love it. <laughs> well, you should because Effie actually inspired the brainstorm. I don't know about that. that led, well, <laughs> you, I, you inspired the brainstorm yes. that led to it. So you had submitted uh, just as a need things that we need to talk about was conversation and sort of these these conversational topics that should happen between patients and rheumatologists and from there myself and a few others started brainstorming about 
yeah, you know, wouldn't it be interesting to bring rheumatologists and patients in the set because we're we're talking separately. <laughs> so we're always giving advice to patients. They're talking amongst themselves. What if we came together and actually had conversations about the communication topics that we should be having in our office? And then together we can create these solutions. And that's happening. So that's really exciting. And I think that this is a, an important topic, especially as it relates to early detection. And maybe some, if you're a rheumatologist or a primary care physician, anybody who is related to these diseases who might want to be interested in talking on an episode on how do we combat this invisibility to expedite detection and, and ultimately better outcomes, we'd love to hear from you. We also will have Effie's videos, as I said, linked on this page. And Effie, could you remind everybody where they could find you and learn a little bit more yeah. about Yeah, so you guys can find me on my blog, risingabovera.com. I'm also on Instagram at Twitter and Twitter by the same name, risingabovera. I'm most active on Instagram, though, so if you guys have that, shoot me a message on there, direct message. I'm always willing to get, connect or on Twitter, YouTube, wherever you guys, you know, have an account, <laughs> basically. <laughs> just, you know, you can find me on Facebook. But just My blog has everything on there, though, so all my links will be okay. there. Yeah. Okay, great. And then you also can share any of your stories on invisible disease at our social media, at Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, which is all IFAI arthritis. So that's it. We need, to, we need your voices, though, because that's how we're going to solve the problems of today and tomorrow together. So please join those conversations, pull up a seat at the table, and together we will change those stories of tomorrow, won't we, Effie? Yes, we will. This is like something I wish I had when I was first diagnosed, like the roomy rounds and all these topics, because when I was diagnosed in 2005, there was nothing like this out there on the internet. So you guys well, are yeah, in for a good time yeah. <laughs> with 360 arthritis voices. Yeah. Well, thank you again, Effie. And you will be hearing more from Effie as she is going to be one of our permanent co-hosts in 2020. So Woo! Yeah. So thank you for joining us today and we'll talk with everybody soon. AI Arthritis Voices 360 is produced by the International Foundation for Autoimmune and Autoinflammatory Arthritis. Find us on the web at www.aiarthritis.org. Join us again on Wednesday for our special breakout episode where we bring your comments, questions, and ideas to the table. Also, be sure to subscribe to this podcast and stay up to date on all the latest AI arthritis news and events.